Canine Cast number 52 is brought to you by Home Again Pet Recovery Service and ID Microchips on the web at homeagainpets.com. It's the Canine Cast with Tara and Walter. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Canine Cast. This is Tara. And hello everyone, this is Walter with your Canine Cast recap. In case you missed the last Canine Cast, Canine Cast number 51. We had an in-depth discussion about the AKC Nationals, which are coming up this weekend. And we discussed everything about the Confirmation Competition and had information about the dog breeds you might see on the show. Yes, and that one, it was it was kind of neat because, um, or at least from, from where I sat, because growing up watching it, I never had any idea what it was all about. It was still kind of fun to watch, but... You know, as of as of the past you know few years, I had gotten I had, um, not not personally involved, but had seen more of this actually happening with um, the dog club as I got involved there, and it's really really neat everything that goes into these confirmation competitions. And the other neat thing that a lot of people may not be aware of is that a lot of the ones that you may see on TV will be AKC or American Kennel Club registry. But um, but there are but there are actually a number of other registries out there that do these as well, and in different ones you'll see different breeds and so on and so forth. So and and I'm still all hyped up on it because tonight is tonight as we're recording is actually when all of the shows are going to start. So that's going to be lots of fun for us to watch. But we talked about that last show, so I'll, I'll stop talking about that now. And we have some pretty exciting things that we're talking about this show. Um, number one is an email from a listener that we actually got a little while ago, but uh, with the holidays and, and everything, we've um, kind of been sitting on it. And he talks a little bit about um, dog vision, specifically with uh, dogs watching television. Um, and he also brought up a news story that was that was really cool that um, that we liked a lot. We have um, so we had that and another news story as well. And also a listener question about separation anxiety. So, without further ado, um, we'd like to share for um, share with you an email from Ken. Ken wrote with regards to Canine Cast number forty-four, and he said that the computer cursor tracking story was interesting to me because it reminded me of my older dog's willingness to watch TV if it featured dogs or animals or a lot of action. The flicker frequency for dogs is different than for humans so our canine buddies do not see the images on a TV as blended together into a smooth action as we do. Instead, they see a bunch of still frames. So I can't pretend to understand why then my Nick likes to watch the top dog show on OLN. However, I've read that some dog daycare centers put TVs on floor level and tune to station featuring a lot of action, such as in cartoons, to keep the dogs amused. I really think that some canine psychologists such as Stanley Corrin should research this. I'd be interested to know if any of your other listeners have dogs that watch the tube and watch shows. My first two dogs showed no interest whatsoever in television. Ken. Well, Ken, I'd be interested to know about that as well. And so, listeners, we would love to, to get some of your stories about your dogs and experiences with them and with television. Uh, we can share some funny ones about our dogs. But first, as Ken brought up, um, yes, in, in the United States, the way that, um, that TV is run there's um the dogs do actually see as he said a bunch of of still frames and that has to do as he said with the flicker frequency but um but i've actually read i believe it was in nicholas dodman's book nicholas dodman is a veterinary behaviorist at at tufts um he's written a, a number of books but in one of them i believe he was saying that actually in the uk 
the flicker frequency is different and so it's a lot smoother for dogs and that over there they can watch it pretty much the way we do whereas over here they cannot. Um, however, I've also read, uh, it's kind of interesting, that dogs see, uh, see, you know, different breeds of dogs, different types of dogs see differently. And I think we had, we had talked about that when I was talking a little bit about doggy vision, that dogs, uh, generally speaking, with longer noses, see um, much more along the lines of what I had been describing in that show and what Ken's talking about um, right now, where they, they see more, um, more motion than than we do and you know so this would this would be something where they would really really pick up on those still frames however dogs with shorter noses generally tend to see um, tend to see things much more in the way we do so um, so it may be that depending on what kind of dog you have they may be watching television for for different reasons or there may be some dogs that are more interested than others um, partially because they are better better able to see the TV so uh, we'd love to hear about that. Um, with, with our experience, both, both of our dogs will, will quote-unquote watch television with us. Now, it's funny because way back when we, first, um, when we first got Toby and Animal Cops was first on TV, we would watch, watch that together all the time. And we noticed that with him, what he would do is he would just kind of lay there next to me. And then he would kind of perk up whenever you would hear another dog sound or puppies or that kind of thing. Now, with Kyler, she is, she is the same way where she really, really enjoys the sounds that come from the TV. And you'll see her perk up and get very, very intent on the TV and stare at it. But what's really funny is if she hears a sound that's especially enthralling, she will actually get up, walk over to the TV right in front of the speaker. I mean, not even an inch away and just stare at it. She's, she watches the speaker more than the TV. Exactly, exactly. And so it's interesting um, that uh, Ken brought up that that his dogs like to watch TV with dogs, other animals, or a lot of action. So it, seem, it seems like... Um, like his dogs may be doing the same the same thing that our dogs are, and that they're very very attracted to the sounds that are actually going on in the television. So it it um, it'd be interesting to me with um, you know in dog daycare centers, um, a lot of the dogs may actually enjoy the noise, although there may be some that are act that are able to see what's going on as well. Yeah, my favorite story is uh, we had a German Shepherd over, and we were watching a movie, and. And the movie was Harold and Maude. And there's two scenes with sirens in the movie. And the first time the sirens came on, the dog started howling. And we thought he was howling at something outside. So we turned off the, the movie. And we just kind of said, okay, whatever that is. And we started watching again. And that siren scene went away. And, you know, the second time the sirens came on, it was a really sad part of the movie. And this dog started howling again. And as soon as we both realized this dog was howling at the sirens, we both started laughing at this really sad part of the movie uncontrollably. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah, the dog had us howling as well. It was in laughter though. Um, yeah, that was that was a really really interesting interesting uh, TV experience with the dog. Um, and my my favorite TV experience or story with our dogs is um, as I said before, Kyler Kyler will get really intent on certain sounds that attract her. And there was a there was a commercial one time that um, and you guys may may or may not be familiar with it, but basically it was for a cell phone. And what was going on was there were all of these large birds that had apparently escaped or were not going where they were supposed to, and were out kind of like you know in the, on the city street. 
And um, so this guy was trying to kind of round them up and get them back to where they were supposed to be going. Well, what he what they decided to do was they used the cell phone and sent a bird sound through the cell phone so the birds could hear it. And so the birds are all following this guy with the cell phone, um, you know, supposedly because they're hearing the bird sound. Well, aside from the birds in the commercial, it worked really well for Kyler, who every time this commercial would come on, um, the commercial was funny in and of itself, but you would see Kyler, wherever she was in the house, just get up and run on over and stand in front of the speaker and just stare at it so intently every time this commercial was on. It was a, it was her favorite commercial. So um, so those are just a couple of the stories that, you know, things that we've experienced with dogs and television that are pretty funny. So we'd love to hear what all um, you guys have experienced, because I'm sure that you probably have some some pretty amusing stories as well. So uh, send those in to us and we'll share them on the on the air, so to speak. In that email, Ken also notified us of a really neat dog-related news story, which is basically that they had um, just finished mapping the canine genome. So that that's something that's really, really neat for a number of reasons. First of all, um, that's just a really, really big undertaking um, because dogs are very complex creatures, and so they've been working on this for quite some time now. So the fact that they were able to, to do it and complete it and finish it is just amazing. Um, but al but also it has a lot of ramifications for um, for humans and other um, genetic projects as well, which we'll talk about a little bit. But um, but just to kind of you know give you guys the synopsis of what's going on here, um, they they actually published the genome sequence, and part of what they found was that the information in it helped to explain why there are such a huge variety of dog breeds and why you know the different dogs, the different breeds. Are, are so very, very different from one another, um, but, al but also as well help to clarify some of the similarities between um, dogs and humans. So they hope that that will help to explain a lot of diseases that afflict um, both, both species. So this is, so this is something that's, that's really neat. Um, as they, they said that um, you know, with, the, with, this, with this genome project, they were able to capture um, a number of the different of the different features in different types of dogs. Now, the way they did this is they started out with the DNA from a from a female boxer, and they covered nearly 99% of that dog's genome. So all of you know the information that um, that made up that dog's genes. Then um, they used that information for reference and sampled the genomes of 10 other different dog breeds as well as some other canine, um, some other canine species that were related. Um, one, one was the gray wolf, um, one was the coyote. They, they may have used others, but the article didn't go into that. But, um, but when they compared all of these, all of these dogs, they found, they found and pinpointed 2.5 million differences amongst the breeds. Um, and these, and these differences were just um, single letter var variations. When they talk about a single letter variation, that's not um, that's not really a big variation in and of itself. But um, what's amazing is that they found 2.5 million of these of these variations. And what they found was that the the places where the codes were different between the breeds um, tended to be there were like huge blocks of places where the code would be different. So they said that since there are these, these huge blocks, then that probably will make it a lot easier to find the genes that cause differences in body size, 
um, differences in behavior, as well as differences in disease um, between different dogs. So they so they say that um, you know what's important about this is that it'll need many fewer markers than um, than if they were to do this in human studies. So in, in other words, it'll it'll be a lot simpler for them to find this information in the dog's gene than in a human gene. But what's really exciting about them sequencing the dogs is, um, you know, up until now they've used DNA from other from other animals. Mice were very common, but dogs are much more closely related to us, evolutionarily speaking, than mice are. So a lot of the things that they that they find with the dogs um, may relate a lot more closely to to humans. So um, so what they you know so what they're hoping they're going to be able to do. Is to is to actually use it uh, as I said to to figure out some information about genetic diseases. Now, a reason why do why dogs are perfect for them to work on this, aside from the fact that they're so closely related to us, is that um, because of the different breeding programs that have produced all of the pure bred dogs that are out there, and therefore have you know produced such a wide variety of dogs, so that helps them to kind of narrow things down. Also, um, these breeding programs, as, as many people are aware, um, have given dogs a much higher risk of certain genetic diseases. Um, some of these are, are heart disease, cancer, blindness, deafness, um, deafness epilepsy. You know, the, the list the list goes on. So, um, so that you know, so that's that's something that you know that has has always been you know very sad in the dog world that you know because of the inbreeding required to produce um, to produce dogs of that are purebred and and um, you know it being managed in different ways and, and in some ways better than others um, you know a lot of a lot of dogs and certain breeds are predisposed to certain genetic diseases or disorders um, however a, a positive to that is now they are going to be able to use the genes from those breeds to study them to figure out what you know kind of what's causing these disorders and you know because these are some disorders that you know dogs and humans both share they're hoping that that will that will enable them to figure out what the genetic component of um of these diseases are in humans as well so um so that's something that's that's really really exciting for so for so many reasons it just has um there there are so many different uses for this information plus like i said before it's just a whole lot of information to decode and it's really cool that they did so so we're excited to hear about that and we have another news story that we wanted to relate to you all. Something that came out between this canine cast and the last one. Back in canine cast number 14, we talked about the world's first cloned dog. And you may have seen that the person who was behind that has been in the news lately because some of their other research has been under fire for possibly being incorrect especially with regards to their newest cloning activities. And people were saying that perhaps even the dog wasn't really cloned after all. And there was news stories on Wednesday that said, indeed, actually, yes, the dog was a clone after all. So we still have the world's first cloned dog. We're not back to square one on that one. Well, not not we, Walter and I. Although that that would be very interesting, but uh, but yeah, that's that that's it's so cool. There's there's so many um you know genetic dog related um things that are going on and and in in uh, canine cast number fourteen, you know, I did voice some of my concerns about um you know clo cloning of dogs and you know and of course you know those concerns are are still there. However, from you know as I said then as well from a scientific standpoint it is um you know it is very neat and I can see 
where um, you know this could lead to some really good things down the road. So um, so it's it's nice to know that that did that that did happen and um, it did you know it did go okay and everything. Um, we also had a listener question that I wanted to get to tonight about separation anxiety and I really wanted to talk about it because there are so many dogs out there that are affected by this and their their owners too um, of course not that the owners have the anxiety but you know they're affected because their dogs have this particular um, thing going on. So Nathan wrote in to us about that and we wanted to share that email with you. Nathan writes I'm currently volunteering with the Greyhound Adoption Group with the hopes that as soon as I'm able, I'll be able to adopt a Greyhound of my own. One of the things I learned about while doing research on the breed was separation anxiety. I've had a few dogs in the past, but luckily none of them had separation anxiety. The deeper I looked into the subject of it, the more scared I became. There are all kinds of horror stories and home destruction and dog person unhappiness caused by separation anxiety. My question has two parts. Is it more common in specific breeds? And two, what's the best way to deal with a dog that is exhibiting symptoms of it? I've heard that a lot of people resort to medications like Calmacom, but I figured that there must be some training behavior you can work on before you have to resort to medication. Thanks and Happy New Year, Nathan. Well, Nathan, there there are a lot of things that um, that you can do to help a dog that has this. But um, but before we get into that, you had asked about if there are certain breeds that exhibit it. Um, really, the the information out there is kind of mixed as to whether or not um, there's certain breeds. Really, it can it can hit dogs of any breed. Um, some some things to look for if you if you want to know some dogs that may be more predisposed to having separation anxiety issues. Um, dogs with traumatic backgrounds um, tend to have it more. Um, do- you know that includes dogs who maybe had multiple owners or inadequate socialization when they were young. So, um, you know, with inadequate socialization, you're talking about a lot of your puppy, um, puppy mill dogs and pet store dogs. Um, and, you know, with dogs with multiple owners, you're talking about a lot of ones from shelters and rescues. However, in both those groups, not, not all dogs get it. And also, um, particularly with the ones with shelter and rescue, um, you want to keep in mind, too, that a lot of dogs with this problem are more likely to be given up because of, you know, because it can be a big problem and cause a lot of unhappiness. So you don't really know whether it's that, you know, dogs that are going into shelters are more likely to have it to begin with or that, um, you know, or maybe, you know, the the experience with the dogs, you know, being in a family, losing that family um, can, can trigger it as well. It could, I, I would say, you know, it, it's, prob- it's probably, you know, safe to guess that it's a little bit of both there. Um, they also say that more mixed breeds tend to exhibit it. But again, that that could be attributed to their, you know, a lot more mixed breeds come out of shelters. So it gets back into that, um, you know, same same thing again as to, you know, whether or not it comes from, you know, the dog having having um, multiple owners or, or whatnot. Now, most dogs that exhibit this um, will start showing it at when they are young dogs. However, geriatric dogs can suddenly develop it as well. A lot of times, if an older dog suddenly develops some separation anxiety, um, that that has to do with the dog as it's getting older may have some infirmities. It may um, start having arthritis or other kinds of aches and pains, which um, you know it wa- basically it wants its its pack around it more. It becomes more dependent on its pack to um, you know make it feel a little bit more comfortable and um, you know not 
you know, the, the, the pains can be a little bit scary. So that can, that can be part of why it will pop up as well. Um, one, one thing that commonly, um, e you know, either encourages it in a dog where the dog has the, um, you know, propensity towards this or, or may even cause it are um, owners that are overindulgent. Um, the, you know, and I mean, you know, yes, most of, most of us who listen to this show probably spoil their dogs to some extent. I'm definitely guilty of that. But it depends on the type of spoiling. Um, if, you know, the owners, owners who, when their dog is fearful, will comfort their dog, um, you know, ra rather than, um, you know, ignoring the fear and then praising the dog for, you know, getting over with it and, and dealing with it, um, that, ki that kind of thing. Um, that can that can cause a bit of separation anxiety because the dog does um, become more dependent on the owner for for a number of different things and because that owner may without meaning to actually be praising the separation anxiety behavior now um, before before I go on for anybody who's not familiar with separation anxiety um, it's it's pretty much what it what it sounds like the dog gets very very anxious when it is separated from its pack for example when the dog is at home alone and the the people have gone out somewhere um, oftentimes it manifests itself in the dog you know being loud barking howling whining crying while the person is gone um, destructive behavior so you know dogs going around you know just uh, chewing up or or shredding or otherwise destroying different things some dogs will actually um, hurt themselves they'll, they'll start chewing or licking on different body parts um, there's just a number of things some dogs will actually try to get out and you know get out and escape to get to their people and um, that's 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 a part of it that we're real familiar with because Kyler did that for quite some time um, so and, and it, it is it is fairly common as a matter of fact a lot of a lot of times when, you know, we might be led to believe that our dog was just acting up for whatever other reason, it could actually be um, separation anxiety. You know, some, some people who think that their dog is just destructive, well, it could actually be that the dog was just very anxious from being left alone. So it's, it's, a very, it's very, very common. Um, however, just to complicate matters a little bit, a lot of these same behaviors can happen when the dog is just bored. So, you know, so you kind of want to think about you know, both, both sides of that, that it could be um, separation anxiety, it could be, and some other factors. Now, um, with, all, with all of that said, there are a number of things that you can do to help manage separation anxiety before going down a, um, a medical route. Um, first of all, th this has something in common with all other fears. Um, which, which is that, you know, as I, as I said before, the owner's reaction to it can either help to diminish it or the owner can, you know, without meaning to actually increase it. So what, um, so what owners are going to want to do is if the dog is, is acting anxious, say if you're, if you're leaving, going somewhere, or you just came back and the dog is acting anxious, you don't want to do things that are going to comfort the dog because that, um, comes across the dog as praise and will actually make it worse. You want to be very matter of fact about all of your comings and goings. The um, the a great um, rule to go to go with with this to help you to do that is to just completely ignore your dog for about 10 minutes before leaving the house or coming back. Which 
for all of us, I know, is incredibly hard, and, and we've had to go through it, so we know how incredibly hard it is, but it's so much better for the dog, because what you're doing is you're making your comings and goings um, much less of a big deal. There, it just becomes like normal everyday life. And, and if you think about it, the way that you interact with other people, when you when you leave to go to work or whatnot, you may say, okay, you know, I'm leaving, but you don't, you know, you don't necessarily go over and, and pet them and make a big fuss. And, and if you did, they might think something was wrong. So if you think about it that way, well, that's kind of probably what's going on in the dog's mind. So if you just ignore, ignore the dog, she says, rule of thumb, 10 minutes before leaving the house or coming back, then the dog learns not to associate your um, your praise, your making a big deal with you leaving or coming back. In addition to that, take some time the next time that you're going somewhere to see all of the things that you normally do in preparation for leaving. So kind of like your leaving routine. That may include things like putting on your shoes, getting your purse or your wallet, getting your keys, if it, you know, if it's cold out, like this time of year, getting your coat, so on and so forth. Try to become, you know, consciously aware of what all those different things are, and then go ahead and practice doing all of those at times that you are not going to leave. So do this many times a day. Just walk over to where your keys are, pick them up, put them in your pocket, go about your business, 15 minutes later, go put them back down. Or go put on your coat and then wander around the house or different different things like that whatever whatever your routine happens to be when you do this what you're doing is these things for your dog will no longer be associated with you leaving so these things will not cause anxiety because often the dogs know our routines as well or better than we do they see us going through them and they know that we're leaving so the anxiety for them can start even before we are getting ready to walk out of the door by doing these things, by doing your normal going out routines when you're still at home, the dog gets to see you doing them, but also sees that you're not leaving. Your presence is still there. And even though you're not going to necessarily be um, directly interacting with your dog, um, you're not going to necessarily be petting it or such, they can, you know, they can see you're still there and start to calm down when they see these things happening. Now, at the point that the dog is calmer when they see these things happening, that's a great time to go pet them and, and praise them and all those wonderful things that we want to do anyway, um, just, you know, just so that they then learn to associate these different things with your routine, um, with, you know, with it being good, but, you know, with you not necessarily leaving. Right, next, when your dogs are, are seeming a little bit calmer as you're doing your going out routine, practice leaving for short times. When you do this, the challenge is to not come back in when the dog is making noise or when the dog's doing, you know, something that's reacting to you leaving. Depending on how severe the separation anxiety is for your particular dog, that may mean that you walk out the door and immediately come back in. It may mean that you don't even walk out outside of your house. It may mean that you just walk into another room and come back. But you your challenge is to leave and come back so quickly that your dog doesn't have time to react and especially doesn't have time to react badly. And then then what you do, go ahead and do the, you know, ignoring your dog for a little while and then go ahead and, you know, just, just love on them and go about life. Then keep doing this um, a, few, a few times and as they get better about, you know, staying calm and, and not reacting each time you go, you can lengthen it. 
Or if you were, you know, if you started out by just leaving the room, you can maybe go more rooms away, or maybe you can try going outside now. So just, just what you're doing is you're actually slowly desensitizing them to you actually leaving altogether. And, um, you know, basically, basically teaching them that, you know, they can, that when you come back, it doesn't have to be as big of a deal either. So that'll, so that'll really work well with helping them as well. While you're, when, while you're doing this, whenever you leave, you can also leave on a radio or a TV, something, something with noise, something to kind of distract dogs. Because some, do- some dogs, when it gets really, really quiet, that's unsettling to them for the house. Or they start hearing everything that's going on outside and will bark at everything. So um, you can go ahead and start leaving on, you know, something noisy. That's something that we, that we do, that we started doing with Toby way, way back, just leaving on a radio, and that's, that, that made a, um, a big difference with him, because he used to, he, he used to actually howl when we left, like a little tiny wolf, um, but, but the radio makes it much, much nicer. Just make sure that when you do that, that you try to turn on the radio or the TV sometime before you're leaving, and don't turn it immediately off when you get home either, so that way your dog doesn't associate the radio or the TV with you being gone either. Now keep in mind throughout all of this, we've gone through some strategies for if you, you know if your dog really is anxious and that's what's going on, then these strategies will help. However, as I mentioned before, your dog may also just be bored. So another thing that you can do is you can give the dog toys, especially puzzle toys that will occupy their mind. This is a great step to take whether your dog is bored or your dog is anxious because this is something that will take their mind off you being gone and give them something else to do. So that's something that's absolutely wonderful for them. Definitely, you know, do that step. Um, but, but again, you want to try to not lavish a bunch of toys on them right before you leave. Just maybe give them, you know, one or two a little while before you're leaving um, so that they can, you know, play with it while you're gone. If your dog is destructive, then a great, great help to you would be using a crate. Um, we've gone over crate training a little bit before in other in other canine casts, but this is especially good to put your dog in the crate while you're gone to keep the dog from being destructive, especially if it's likely to get into something where it's going to hurt itself. Now, I've talked about crates a number of times. They're absolutely wonderful for dogs. Dogs love being in them. If your dog is not yet used to a crate, then you'll want to do some training with your dog in the crate before you're actually leaving. And canine cast number 37, we went over how to train your dog to go in the crate and to like it in there and have it be a positive experience. So make sure to crate train your dog if it's not already crate trained, and then you'll be able to put the dog in the crate. You know that the dog will most likely be be safe in there, and so will your house. Um, be careful with that because I have heard stories of dogs eating couches from inside a crate, which is amazing, but most dogs will be much safer inside the crate. Now, some other ideas that you can that you can use as well. Um, number one, Jen Fennell, who wrote The Dog Listener, and I talked about that book in Canine Cast number 28, her, uh, has a theory that what happens with separation anxiety is that the dog actually... Um, sees itself as the highest in the pack order and so the separation anxiety comes from the dog panicking much like a parent who has lost a child so she has she has a four-step program on how to establish yourself as the pack leader which which in her experience and working with dogs has helped with separation anxiety so that's another idea for something that you can use to help with that 
And in general, um, obedience training certainly increases a dog's confidence, which tends to decrease anxieties of all sorts. Um, so, I, so I would recommend, you know, if you're, if you're not training the dogs or, or with these dogs, like Nathan was talking about that, um, that, you know, he's working with in rescue, obedience training will, will help so very much to calm, you know, all of their fears and anxieties, including separation anxiety. And also it does help to establish you as the pack leader and just generally calms dogs down over time. So that's another thing that's great to do with the dog in addition to all of the other behaviors to try to manage um, separation anxiety. Now, if you've gone through all of this and you've been working on it for a few weeks and it's not and the behavior either isn't getting better or is getting worse or if the dog is hurting itself, then that would be a good time to go ahead and consult your vet and see about going the the medicinal route. Of course, I, I highly recommend going ahead and trying to train things as much as you can um, because not, not all anxieties, fears, and so on are actually, you know, chemically based. But, but in a dog that you've gone through all of the training and it's, you know, it's just not responding, then, um, you know, then it, then it may actually be some, some type of a, a chemical problem or, you know, or the, the drug may be just enough help along with everything else that it'll be able to get the dog back into um, a more functional uh, relationship so that you're able to come and go without the dog doing anything anything bad. I, and of course I, I do put in there or if the dog is hurting itself just because you want to get that dog better as quickly as possible. Um, as Nathan mentioned, there are, there are horror stories out there of dogs that, you know, may, you know, chew on their tail to the point where it needs to be amputated, that kind of thing. So we, you know, we of course don't want any dogs to go through that. So if the dog is that severe, you know, do whatever you need to, to get help right away. But, but with most dogs where they're just kind of, you know, acting up when you leave, um, a lot, a lot of times the, the different behavior, um, management and, um, you know, training and just kind of changing the way that you interact with your dog as you come and go, will take care of it. So I hope that some of those strategies will help will help out a lot of our listeners out there and um, make you feel a little bit more confident um, with dealing with separation anxiety. Because most dogs are not those horror stories. Most dogs have a little bit of it. You take care of it, and it's it's not a problem at all. So long as you do you know know what to watch for and are able to work on it with the dog. So thanks for writing in about that, Nathan. And we love getting our emails from our listeners, you know, ask, asking us questions or, you know, show, showing us uh, news stories that we might not have, have seen right away without it. So that's really, really cool. Please keep those coming in. Uh, we're going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsor. A dog's got to do what a dog's got to do. Hey, I should know. I'm a dog. Wolf. And what I got to do is chase squirrels, especially the one digging holes in my yard. Someday soon, I'll get free and chase that lawn wrecker right out of town. You don't think your dog will run away? Your dog might think differently. One in three pets will get lost. Without ID, 90% won't return home. That's why vets recommend the Home Again Microchip, a safe, permanent ID that can bring your pet home. Talk to your vet about Home Again and visit homeagainpets.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Home Again. And now it's time for listener pictures. This picture was sent in from Brian, and it's a picture of Zoe with her Christmas bows on. Aww. So cute. Thanks, Brian, for sending that in. And you can see that in the Enhanced Podcast on Color iPods and in iTunes, and of course in the Canine Cast Listener's Pictures Gallery on the website. 
we love the listeners picture gallery the pictures are so cute we love seeing all of all of the dogs out there and uh we feel like it kind of i know it puts like a, a personal uh touch between you know us and our listeners we feel like we get to know you through your dogs but um but anyway so it's it's really neat you can um go check that out and we we just love the pictures we go browse through them on a, a fairly regular basis even though we've seen them um a number of times ourselves but, um, but as I said, we love getting pictures from you. We love getting all of the emails and voicemails. We really, really appreciate it. You guys are what keep our show going. So all of the information for you to send in pictures, emails, etc. will be available for you at the end of the show. So um, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, if you haven't already, please remember to spay or neuter your dog. It's the best thing you can do for your furry friend. If you have a question for Tara or a comment about CanineCast, please send an email to caninecast at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail at 206-338-DOGS and you can leave a comment on our website at caninecast.com.